the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The estate planning team is an Ohio-registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. have financial goals and dreams we can help you achieve them welcome to financial food for thought the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth everyone you found financial food for thought got mark dialing and carrie my partner is uh taking the rest of the year off so uh hopefully she's home enjoying the holiday break with her family hope everyone listening is enjoying and having a healthy holiday season we got through christmas now we've got the new year's it's always funny when those major holidays appear on a monday um it kind of throws the whole week in turmoil doesn't it so how did the year go? We'll talk a little bit about how the year went. Maybe more we'll talk a little bit about today about what we're looking at, what I think maybe some of the top stories for 2024 or what kind of things I'll be watching. Of course, what every, you know, one of, obviously the top story is going to be how the economy is doing. Chris Waller said that if inflation continues to fall, then the Fed uh, in the next several months could be cutting interest rates. I wonder if you could comment on whether you agree with uh, Fed Governor Waller on that, that the Fed would become more restrictive if it didn't cut rates if inflation fell. Thank you, sir. This so, of course, I, I don't Fed's comment last on, uh, meeting on of the any year, other officials, earlier in December. who work at the Fed. Um, so, but I'll, but I'll, I'll try to answer your, your question more broadly. Um, so the way, the way we're looking at it is, is really this. Uh, we, when, we, when we started out, right, we said uh, the first question is how fast to move, and we move very fast. The second question uh, is, uh, you know, really uh, how high to raise the policy rate. And that's really the question that we're still on here. Uh, we're, we're, we're very focused on that. As I, as I mentioned, uh, people generally think that we're at or near that uh, and, and think it's not likely that we will we'll hike, although... They don't take that possibility off the table. So that's when, when you get to that question and, and that's your answer, uh, there's a natural naturally it begins to be the next question, which is when it will become appropriate to begin dialing back the amount of policy. Right. That's what everybody wants to know so for really 2024. And 
that's what people are thinking about and 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 talking about. And I, I would just say this: um, we are seeing uh, you know strong growth that is that is appears to be moderating. We're seeing a labor market that is coming back into balance by so many measures, and we're seeing inflation making real progress. These are the things we've been wanting to see. We can't know. Uh, we still have a ways to go. No one is declaring victory. That would be premature, and we can't be guaranteed of this progress. So we're we're moving carefully in making that assessment of whether we need to do more or not. No one can, can uh, is declaring victory except for the Cleveland Browns. Um, of course, we're taping this show on Friday after the big. Thursday night win the Browns uh you know going to the playoffs uh, so that that's good news. So but but what Jerome Powell said there that you know no they're not declaring victory yet but a lot of people think that they are successfully navigating this soft landing meaning can they stamp down inflation while without causing a US recession. And I guess 2023, it was, some people are calling it the silent recession, right? So many people were calling for a recession to happen in 2023, saying giving the Federal Reserve no chance at all to, to, to get the soft landing, a bumpy landing at best. Well, even through all of the year, and again, the year's not over yet, we're, we've got a couple days to go, but basically no recession, um, no recession in sight. So, and really looking at the the indicators, I, a lot of people don't think there's really a recession around the corner. So, I mean, staying with the Federal Reserve, so looking at their major projections, you know, they have the FOMC committee and all the members, and they all kind of do their own vote, so to speak. In other words, they all kind of put in their two cents worth and then they look at a consensus they look at the high end the low end the medium and consensus and things like that so what are they seeing going into 2024 um well first of course interest rates the federal rates you know he had mentioned that you know they raised it you know tremendously from really you know zero percent up to five percent that that was the fastest pace of tightening i think since the 1980s and so we're going to end they're, – they're, they're thinking that they'll probably end 2024 at about 4.6% uh, down from the current. So basically that would represent about three 25 basis point cuts during the year. Um, then they're saying by the end of 2025, they would get the rate down to 3.6%. And then by the end of 2026, they would get the rates down to about 2.9%. So, and, and what is that important to you at home as well? Is if you're banking that you still think you're going to get your four, the 5% CDs for the next two to three years, that's probably not going to happen. You, you may want to lock in those now while you can. How about one of the other you know, indicators of recession is growth, GDP, right? So we're going to end 2023 probably around 2.5% annualized for the year. 
And the Fed does think that's going to be lower next year in 2024. They think it'll be down to about 1.4%. But even 1.4% positive is still a mile away from negative. Remember, the one of the unofficial or official definitions of recession is when you have two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. And it, it doesn't appear that that's going to happen. You could look at unemployment. It's another leg that we uh, that's an economic that, that and that's one of their mandates, right? Um, the Fed's mandates. So, right, they're thinking that probably it's going to end up at about what three point eight percent at the end of this year. Um, by the end of twenty twenty four, about four point one percent, and then we're back to inflation. So inflation this year, probably around 2.8% when we're all said and done. They want, they're projecting that in 2024 would be down to 2.4%. Um, then they're saying that they're still, they're, they've not moved off their projected target of 2%. That's still their goal. And they expect to get there by 2026. That's where a lot of people don't think that that's possible. But that sets up, so we'll see. So, so far... Although the Federal Reserve is, they're the first ones to say we're not claiming victory yet. We're not cutting rates yet. We're still leaving on the table of possibly raising rates. It seems like they are, they have not been proven, uh, that they're incompetent by any stretch of the means. Um, so that leads into a, kind of a, what is the, the Fed's Goldilocks outcome for 2024? A play on the 2024, meaning that, could you have 2% GDP, 0% recession, 2% inflation, and the final 4% unemployment, 2024. 2% GDP, 0% recession, 2% inflation, 4% unemployment. So do you believe in the 2024? Um, we'll see. Um, just a, other things too. When we talk about what's going to be happening in 2024, the year of it, is it, you know, are we going to be more of the FOMO? Remember the fear of missing out. And that's what I was talking about for the last couple of weeks on this radio show program is that this Fed pivot party, meaning that the Federal Reserve will start cutting rates. Some forecasters believe there'll be six interest rates cuts next year in 2024. I think that's a little aggressive. Um, I don't know if it's going to be that much, but in any case, the idea that this year was the big worry about recession. A lot of people sat out in the sidelines in cash. A lot of people are still going to, you know, stay in cash because they don't, they don't believe it. But other people at this point now are going to, you know, are you going to be subject to the FOMO, the fear of missing out? You know, don't look now, but as of whatever yesterday's close, the Dow Jones was up about 13.77%. Gold's matching that. Gold's up about 13 to 4% year to date. The S&P 500 is up about 24.58%, right? And the NASDAQ is up about 44% year to date. Uh, that's, so, so now are you going to jump in, right? At the, uh, at perhaps new highs of all those indices. That's, but that's typically what a lot of Americans do. It's that fear of missing out. It's also a kind of a, another acronym that, that, that I think we'll see, you know, in the, we've seen it in the past. And I think we'll continue to see it in the future is, is TINA, 
right? Tina, that's when there is no alternative, Tina, right? Now, that's the idea that, yeah, it's not only that maybe you're saying it's time for me to get my sideline cash back into something because my sideline cash, the interest rate's going to be going down. It's not going to be going up anymore. But also, that's that fear of missing out. I want to get back into the market because the market's reaching new, all new time highs. I don't know if that's a time to get in, but whatever. But it, it may be even more than that. And, and the Tina is, I got to get, I buy, I have to buy the Magnificent Seven. Because, of course, that's what drove most of those, well, certainly the S&P 500, you know, double, you know, 24% rate of return. A lot of that was made up of those seven stocks, you know, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, which is really Google, Amazon, NVIDIA, Tesla, uh, Meta, you know, the old Facebook so those seven stocks, and so do you, that's that Tina that maybe all you do is buy those seven stocks. Well, this is the issue. Any professional investment advisor, that's not what we do at the estate planning team, but any professional investment advisor, that's what they're going to, uh, they're not going to recommend that. They won't do that. Uh, they just, they just won't do it. Um, or is it going to be JOMO, the story of 2024? So what is JOMO? JOMO is joy of missing out. So, so what is this concept? So this is the concept that this persistent inflation has now affected the Americans. Maybe not the most wealthy, maybe not even the upper middle class, but maybe the upper middle class, certainly the middle class and below. It's that, that, you know, there's one statistic I saw that was amazing that they're saying that U.S. household savings have fallen from a record 2.1 trillion in 2021. That was after all the helicopter money was dumped on everybody's laps. Okay. To around about 190 billion as of June of this year. So we're, we went from 2.1 trillion to 190 billion. That's some revenge spending going on. And that's what, you know, drove up the inflation. That's what drove up, but that's also perhaps what saved the economy, um, at least in America, you know, for that, that kept the GDP engine, you know, uh, running. But now that money is all gone, right? So, so, so back to the JOMO theory, the joy of missing out. They're saying that 2024, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to have to cut discretionary spending. They're going to not be able to travel. They are not going to be dining out. You know, they're not going to be buying, you know, Taylor Swift concert tickets. Okay, they're going to be looking for more entertainment, much more cheaper entertainment at home. In Ohio, they may be tripping on something else that's became legal in Ohio for, you know, going into 2024. That's one of the topics that we'll be watching in 2024, how that whole new Ohio's green economy is going to affect everything. So that's just a, you know, so where do you stand on that? You know, are you part of the JOMO group? Are you part of the FOMO group? Are you saying, are you a believer in the Federal Reserve that they've navigated the soft landing and everything's fine? Are you more concerned that no, it, it, the worst is yet to come and I better get prepared? So you're listening to Financial Food for Thought brought to you by the estate planning team. My name is Mark Donnelly. I'm the president of the company. Carrie, my co 
worker, my co-owner in the estate planning team is um, home with their family celebrating the, 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 the holiday weekend. And the estate planning team has been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans. We're now going to be going into our 37th year. And over those decades, we have certainly helped our clients get through hard economic times. Also, we've helped them successfully navigate the transition from the working or the accumulation years into the uh, retirement golden years and, and how to, it, it, and the things that the, that the stumbling blocks that we've seen previous people make in those situations or what prevents them from successfully navigating. They're never really getting a confidence that they can retire now or that they're how much discretionary spending they could do. Um, so that's what we try to help. You know, how much risk do they need to take on with their nest egg to be okay in retirement? Those are all things that we help families and our clients work through. And it's the idea of the learning the financial planning discipline. It's, it's not the idea that, you know, you run a Monte Carlo analysis once and you take the 37 page printout and stick it into a sock drawer for, and, and never to see the light of day again. Um, that's what I, that's a problem I have with those types of plans is that it, it's not really, it, it doesn't really become a working tool. For our clients, and I know that because when I new clients come to get us or come to see us, and that's one of the questions we ask them: Have we ever tried to build a a, a, a a detailed plan, a formal plan? And they said, "Well, you know, my investment guy ran me a Monte Carlo, and and I and I my first question is, well, what decisions did you make based off on that?" And and typically the answer is really, I get crickets. Um, cause they said, well, you know, I, I don't know. I, and when I, when I, when I drilled down and say, well, what assumptions were made in that? And, and, and it just, it goes downhill from there. So I think more the idea is what the, the financial plan needs to give you the peace of mind that you're going to be okay. It's a tool. It's a tool to be managed. It's not something you do once. Um, you know, we always joke by the time, you know, we print out the plan, it's outdated before the ink is dry on it. You know, it's that car that my clients told me they weren't going to buy this year that they call up and said, uh, where do I get the cash to buy it? I'm buying it this weekend. Or maybe it's a new home or maybe it's, uh, you know, you know that uh, my daughter who was never get married just came home with an engagement ring. Now, I mean, it could be any of those situations. It's, it has to be a more active. We're very active planners at State Planning Team. If you'd like more information about our firm, you can visit our website. It's financialfoodforthought.com. Just the name of our radio show. It's just simply financialfoodforthought.com. On there, you'll find financial articles, calculators, you know, mortgage calculators you can play around with. Um, you can also link to our radio show podcast. Um, so the, the, the radio station keeps a good bank of the, of our shows. And you can get to those 24-7 at your convenience. You can use them like a tape recorder. You can speed them up. You can slow them down. You can stop it, restart it, and, and what have you. So that's a great way if you, if, uh, you know, where the, the show airs on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. But if that's an inconvenient time, you can always go back and listen to the podcast. Or you can just come in for a free, no obligation consultation. And that you can sign up for that on our website, financial foodforthought.com or you can simply call us our home phone number is 
2090. That's 440-239-2090. Um, just leave a message. We, uh, you know, we'll be back in the, in the office, um, on Tuesday after the holiday and you can get, you can schedule and we can do those consultations, those free consultations in person. Um, or we can do them over the phone. Uh, you know, a lot of individuals got used to doing things over the phone during the pandemic, the pandemic shutdown years. And, and we're also, you know, again, we're in the flu season and things like that. And we'll soon be into winter driving. Uh, we know white Christmas this time, but you know, we, we know it's, it's going to be flying soon. So it, we can still get those consultations and we can make, um, you know, help, help you even over the phone. So you can always call us at 440-239-2090. Just to, I mentioned this last week, and I'll mention it again just because I got a couple questions during the week. And it has to do with your, if you're Cuyahoga County and the property real estate taxes. Um, they extended the due date you know, this year. That Usually the due date is um, January 26th. Um, but the county treasurer's office has extended that next year, you know, soon, you know, 2024 to February 15th. Okay. Um, they, they also mentioned, you know, tax bills can be paid online. You can pay them over the phone, you know, or you know, snail mail, the old fashioned snail mail, or you could actually go in person. And show up, and and they'll be more than uh, willing to to take your money um, in that situation. So, anyways, you can you can uh, if you want more information, you can call them directly. Their line is one eight seven 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 three eight one two one two. All right. So, what else do we want to talk about for twenty twenty four? Um, well, it's kind of like, who is going to be claiming victory in 2024? So we started the show where, where the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell said, the Federal Reserve is not claiming victory in 2023. Maybe they will claim victory in 2024. Uh, we'll see if they can navigate the soft landing. Um, the big, obviously, victory party is going to be who's going to win POTUS, right? Biden or Trump? Um, that's, you know, obviously that's going to be driven most of the, the news stories all year. And that has ramifications across the board. It has none of the least of financial individual calculations. You know, it's a two completely different approaches to how the, the, either the Democrats or the Republicans are going to be dealing with taxes and so forth. But again, I, I think there's too much emphasis put on the president's position. The president by himself cannot change tax. Law. Okay. Now he has a veto pen. It's a very strong veto pen. So he can block new tax law, but he can't change tax law on his own. He can't do it. And Biden, you know, again, with President Biden's, uh, you know, student don't student debt loan relief. You know, he promised everyone that they'd get it done. That and no, Supreme Court said no, Joe, you can't do that. Okay, and, and everyone pretty much knew. I mean, a, a lot of us knew that. No, it, it, we we it was a constitutionally. I don't know if he could do that. Um, so again, it, it, the president can't do everything. He need Congress, and I don't see either party after the twenty twenty four election coming away with a strong majority in either the House or the Senate. Um, 
enough that you could, you know, you know, because really to change tax law, you need the majority of the House, you need the White House, you also need 60 votes in the Senate. And that's what's tough to get. And I don't see that happening in 2024. Um, perhaps it'll be the Cleveland Browns with a Super Bowl victory claim. Wouldn't that be something? Um, mm, I don't know about that. Um, how about the, uh, who's going to claim, are we going to see a, a winner between the Eve versus ice <laughs> debate? And what I'm talking about that is for vehicles, the uh, EV vehicles versus the in, internal combustion engine vehicles. Um, I'm still an ICE. Um, I, I, I don't know. I know a lot of people that have bought EVs and swear by them. Um, they are expensive. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's just going to be interesting to see how that develops. Um, but another one that I think will be a top story for 2024 is, is the labor versus the worker. Okay, um, and you could talk about the labor unions or just big business, um, you know, versus the worker, the hourly worker or the um, middle class worker or, or what have you. And who's going to win that? Who's going to claim victory? Because we, we've had a lot of it's just this idea of how the workers in America are reacting to wages, especially since the inflation has hit, the cost for them to, you know, when gas was way up to, to put money, to, to keep the gas tank so they could get to work, um, the health insurance costs that have continued to, to go up. Um, and, and we, you know, then we had the shutdown and then when coming out of the, pandemic we you know remember all these terms that we we started putting naming attaching names to to what was really happening remember the great resignation right remember so many people didn't go back to work after the shutdowns you know and especially a lot of the older workers who maybe were not planning on retiring yet but when they were forced into kind of a retirement, meaning when they were, when their offices were shut down and they were in their home and they were very comfortable in their home and they kind of realized, Hey, I think I got enough money to do this. They never went back to work. When the, when the boss man called and said, get back to work, they kind of said, you know what? I'm not really getting back to work. Now I'll make a deal with you, Mr. Boss Man. You, I'll continue working for you from home, but I ain't coming back into the office. And that's when the the labor unions and labor started realizing, wait a second, if they don't, if I don't take that deal, I, there's no one I can replace them with because no one else wants to go to work either. Um, so that was that great resignation. That led into a term that we now call quiet quitting, right? And, and that, that's the idea where the workers who couldn't afford, the younger workers or whatever, who couldn't afford to stay retired, had to, had to make money, had to go back to work. But they, they still, they were, the wages hadn't gone up yet, right? So they were just doing the bare minimum just to get by. 
you know, and he, he, we we saw those stories where uh, th- across the country, l- like a lot of those workers, quiet quitting meant you know they they would go back into a uh, the back room or uh, 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 the warehouse or whatever, and they just go in between the rows of boxes and take a nice little nap while they were on the clock, right? Um, and and they didn't really fear being fired if they were caught napping because they knew their boss man wouldn't be able to replace them with anyone. Remember how there was a job wanted in every storefront in America? And, and, and so they, so the, the, that, that was the quiet quitting. We called that. Or it was also then it, it turned into another term that we call career cushioning. Okay. So career cushioning is that was kind of like the practice where, yeah, maybe the the individual went back to work. Okay, um, but they also realized that because of this employee shortage, maybe the competitor across the street would actually pay them more than what their current employer is paying them. So there, they were on the lookout. They were lining up. To, for their next job while they were still working for the old guy. Okay. Um, and they weren't, you know, they, they no longer had incentive to do star work for the current guy because they weren't planning on staying with that company anyways. They were looking towards the future. Okay. Um, now, so then that led to a more recently a term that became known as coffee badging. So have you heard of this one, coffee badging, coffee ba- badging? Um, and th- th- those are the individuals that, like I said, they really didn't want to go back to the office. They were happy with the company and they'd love to continue working for them, but they'd love it even more if they could just stay at home and do it. But the boss man said, no, you have to come in. Okay, you have to you have to show up. We have to have meetings. Um, we and Zoom isn't doing it, and you know we got to get you know, and, or the thought process was Zoom wasn't doing it. It wasn't personal enough as those those in, those individual employee meetings. So they said, no, you got to come back into work. But but and then but then it was like, well, maybe you don't have to come in five days a week, or you know, or you don't have to come in, you know, ten hours a day, you know, whatever. There there were there were some compromising going on, but the, but the but it, so it became the idea that it's 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 for those employees who, um, so they they would show up at the office, but they were somewhat protesting because they would come in, but spend as little time as possible at the actual office, um, enough to have a cup of coffee, right? Um, show their face or, you know, and do a badge swipe to prove that they were there. Okay. So that became, um, and then, you know, they would go back home, right? And, and so that's a government. Um, now, so what's one of the newer ones? Um, so one of the new ones that I had, you know, just recently come across was the act your wage <laughs> moniker. So have you heard of that one? Act your wage. Um, and it's the, it's the idea that, you, you know, that the, the employees 
um, who were maybe they were quiet quitting or, or, the, you know, the ones that were in the, the bare minimum Mondays trend. Remember that? So the bare minimum Monday trend was like, you know, pretty much self explanatory. They, they would just, yeah, you had to show up for work on Monday, but you really didn't get a whole lot accomplished. It was some of a protest, some of whatever that, um, you know, in fact that I think there's a lot of, there's been a lot of bare Monday, uh, you know, in Cleveland Browns history fans and the fans in their history, you know, after a Sunday. They lost, but anyways, but but out of that is a group now called Act Your Wage, and it's kind of like the latest message um, where the American workers are sending to their bosses as a way to express their career concerns and push back against burnout. Okay, so the, the trend of Act Your Wage is the mindset that the amount of effort employees put into their job should directly align with their pay. Okay, as, as one as one expert or one, um, yeah, Robert Half executive said, it seems the main consideration for employees wanting to act their wage is to implement boundaries aimed at protecting their own work life balance and to not overwork themselves to a point that affects their quality of life. You know, the kind of the, the burnout and, and, and we certainly uh, uh, back to, you know, bring it to our clients or our new client or clients coming into us. That's a lot of what we hear. You know, they're coming to us because they're saying, Mark, you know, I, I just can't do the rat race anymore. It's not that I hate my job. It's not that the pay is that bad. Um, it's just that I can't do it anymore. I can't handle, I can't do the 60 hours a week. And they just have to get out of that. And so a lot of times the solution for that individual is what we call a scaled down employment. And some of our clients were successful in negotiating that, you know, after the shutdown, when they kind of liked the idea of living from home, they, they kind of gave that alternative to their, and we suggested that. I said, well, just don't quit. Have you tried the scaled down approach? And they're like, what's that? It's like, well, go to your boss and say, Hey, um, here's the, here's the choice. I, I'm either quitting. Or I'm willing to work, you know, half the, the time and that half the time is going to be from home. And you negotiate that. And a lot of our clients were able to successfully negotiate that. Now, of course, that's a very individualized and how, but it's back to the idea that the boss man knows that they're not going to, they they had no way of easily replacing that individual if they just walked out the door. Um so, you know, so that's, so these are all things, but back to, but that's what our planning process can do, can help you. It's to say, if, if you need the confidence to know that if you do try to scale down or sometimes call that encore career or completely retire for good, you know, are, do you have enough in your nest egg to make your plan last until what's your peace of mind, whether that be age 85, 90, 95, do I hear 100? All right. So what are some of the other stories I think we'll be watching or making shock lines in 2024? Well, here in Ohio, how could we not mention the passage of Issue 2 and the legalization of recreational marijuana? And I think we're just scratching the surface of what this law is going to do to life in Ohio. Ohio being the 24th state, and I'm surprised 
that they were in the you know the first half of the states that did recreate you know approve recreational marijuana, them being the twenty fourth. But and it's just there's so many pathways that this is going to go down. I mean, just some recent stuff. Well, first, no one even knows how it's going to be sold and where the storefronts are going to be, whatever. I'm not even talking about that, but just sidebar issues. How about, did you see the issue about the, the drug sniffing dogs and they don't know what to do with them? Um, so the, the, it, so the issue, the passage of issue two has created a quandary for local police departments that use canines trained or imprinted to detect odor of marijuana. Um, the dogs have been rendered nearly unusable for drug searches because the, the, I guess apparently the, the dogs, they're, they're trained to, to get the scents, but they really don't know that they shouldn't bark at a marijuana scent versus an, a, a cocaine scent. So it, they would just be continuing barking and these people would be, you can imagine the chaos it would concern because, hey, pot's legalized. So the dog doesn't know if it's smelling marijuana or cocaine. It's, you know, it, the cops have to now search my car or whatever or search, whatever. I mean, it, you can, you get the point. So they don't know what they're going to do with all the dogs. Um, how about, you know, speaking of police, uh, a lot of the police departments have to make a decision on whether that they will continue to use uh, marijuana as a black ball to get hired into a police department. Um, you know, or are they, are they going to have a zero tolerance rule or are they going to have some other police department say, well, we're going to have like a two year rule and it's, it's we're not going to ban you from becoming a police officer if you admit or whatever or said that you use marijuana in the past. But you're not going to get hired if you test positive in the current. Right. I, I don't know. What does uh, Mayor Justin Bibb said that the screening has affected recruiting efforts? Um but he's he's saying no, they're not gonna they're not gonna eliminate that for you know police officers, firefighters, or EMS workers. So it, it, it's just it, it's and then of course you could talk about the health risks and so there was a you know you know recent because uh, most of Americans would vote for legalized marijuana. It's kind of making that pretty clear. As a matter of fact, a recent Gallup poll. Showing that seventy percent of Americans, um, including sixty-four percent of people fifty-five and older, favor that you know such legalization. Um, it wasn't that long ago, you know, when they first started asking that question it was back in nineteen sixty-nine. A little bit of pot smoking going around back then. Uh, of course, uh, sound engineer Eric doesn't remember those days, but I certainly do. Um, but only twelve percent of Americans at that point in nineteen sixty-nine were in favor of legalizing marijuana. And then in, by 2013, 20 by 2013, the support jumped about 58%. And that's the time, you know, right around when Colorado and Washington were the first states to approve it. So we'll say that. But also the doctors, the health industry is saying, yeah, we've got problems, though. Um, so older adults who use marijuana but don't smoke tobacco were at higher risk of both heart attack and stroke when hospitalized. In addition, people who use marijuana daily were 34% more likely to develop heart failure. Okay, so it, it's still, you, you, it's not a very healthy thing to do. And how much are we going to have more problems with that, especially if with the legalization at age 21, 
you start using it on a daily basis, I, I, it's just we'll, we'll see, and 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 we'll see, of course, how the dollars generated help the Ohio economy. Uh, another issue that I think is 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 I'm bringing it to life for 2024. It's it's going to be what experts are now calling the peak 65. And so what is that idea about? That's the idea that in 2024, um, more Americans will attain age 65 than any other time in history. All right. They're expecting about 4 million people turn in 65 in 2024, um, about one in, in every six Americans. Um, and that's the, uh, and that is going to drive, you know, all these issues. Um, and we, and that's why we're seeing so many clients, new clients coming to us with those questions, you know, Medicare 65 eligibility, um, required minimum distributions, all those issues as they reach these milestones, you know, the gray Tisami, they're calling it, right? Um, and there's a, there's, it's, and it's leading to, we're also realizing that there's this, there's this, you know, the, the senior wealth gap, um, because a lot of those people turning that age are going to be just fine. And there's a lot of them that aren't going to be fine. And that's what we're saying. Don't get caught up in the averages. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was a recent study and, and saying, well, what is the, you know, if you, if you look at the age range of 60 to 64, okay, what is the average net worth in this country? And, and this may shock, it, it kind of surprised me. So the average net worth in the age range 60 to 64 in this country is $1,675,214. Now, that's why I say, who cares about averages? Because you might not have 1.6 million in your net worth. Maybe you've got twice that. Um, but the, the idea is, you know, now if you could look at the median and the median is kind of saying, you know, the number in the middle and that's way below the 1.6 million. That, again, that's this is the wealth gap, um, but the median net worth in the age range sixty to sixty four is about three hundred ninety four thousand. Okay, now as a side note, that does that's net worth, so that does include your house. All right, um, now would also subtract your mortgage if you have one. Um, but we, you know, part of maybe why that average or medium net worth and that age range has gone up is because we've seen, you know, in the last couple of years, the real estate values go so far up. So that could be part, you know, obviously that is part of that. Um, and then if you want to look into the next, they break down age range 65 to 69, not a whole lot different average net worth 1.8 million. Medium net worth about three hundred ninety four thousand, about the same number. Um, yeah, and and yeah, so so that so that's kind of um, and, and but yet there's also studies that are are saying that a lot of people even maybe even at those numbers maybe you do have a, a one point six million dollar net worth. 
but you but the idea is you don't feel wealthy okay and and so are are you suffering from what the experts call money dysmorphia you know the believing that you don't have enough regardless of how much you have and and we've been talking about that on this radio show forever because we always say it, it's the number one fear that people coming into us have is the fear of running out of money before life. You've all heard that term before that. And it's true. And, and people, you know, shake the, you know, kind of look at me sideways and say, Oh, Mark, sure. You tell me that somebody who's got a couple of million dollars in their nest egg is really worried about running out of money in retirement. I'm like, yeah, they are. And, and and a lot of that has to do with the uh you know your, your lifestyle creep you know the idea that as along the way as your wage base increased you also increased your lifestyle okay um and by increasing your lifestyle it means that you know that and that's why sometimes one of the things we find we in, in we we call it the one more year syndrome where the idea is that you have the the individual who really wants to retire, get out of that rat race, but they're making so much money, they're at their peak earning years, and they've got their job down pat, and they don't necessarily hate their job, um, but they're also wondering, I'd really kind of like to retire. I think I got enough to retire, but the money is so good. Mark, I'm just going to go one more year. So then we get ready for them to retire the next year. We update their plan. We show them they can retire next year. And then we get to the end of next year, and guess what? They didn't retire. And we're like, well, what's the deal here? We showed you you can retire. We talked about you retiring last year. You told me just one more year. And they said, Mark, Mark, I, I'm going to retire next year. <laughs> you get the point. So there's a lot going on there, but uh, but if if you see that's the benefit of having a detailed financial plan, you know, customized for what you you know your goals, your objectives, and you can make it as conservative as you want. Now we also say you also make it realistic. You need both those parameters. I mean, you could. I mean, you can make a a, a very conservative assumption. For example, you can say, Mark, I'm never going to retire. Well, that's certainly conservative, meaning that you're going to get a paycheck for the rest of your life. But I don't know how realistic that is. You know, it's still the number one reason why people do retire before they're planning is for health reasons. And sometimes those sneak up on you or those are hard to, 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 you know, at some point you just can't physically do the work. And the longer you're projecting your retirement after whatever you think today's normal retirement date is, 65, 70, you know, somewhere in between there, the longer you say you're going to be working beyond, let's say, 70, the more of a chance that your health is going to prevent you from doing that. Sunshine on my All right, so I've got a few minutes left, and if you'd like more information about what we do at the estate planning team or register for free, uh, free consultation, you can go to our website, Financial Food for Thought, and just sign up for a consultation, or you can just simply call our office at 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Sunshine. 
And I just want to take the last few minutes to wish everybody and thank everybody for supporting the estate planning team now going into our 37th year and many, many years on the radio. And maybe I can help you with if you're trying to come up with some New Year's resolutions. Now, actually, it's not my idea. Maybe <laughs> maybe we'll use uh, Matthew Kelly's, you know, in his, his, his book, Resisting Happiness, where he, what he did was he interviewed hospice nurses and he, he wanted to know what some of the people who th- were dying what they had wished they had done differently in their lifetime. I wish I had the courage to just be myself. I wish I had spent more time with the people I love. I wish I had made spiritually more of a priority. I wish I hadn't spent so much time working. I wish I had discovered my purpose earlier. I wish I had learned to express my feelings more. I wish I hadn't spent so much time worrying about things that never happened. I wish I had taken more risks. I wish I had cared less about what other people thought. I wish I had realized earlier that happiness is a choice. I wish I had loved more. I wish I had better taking better care of myself. I wish I had been a better spouse. I wish I had paid less attention to other people's expectations. I wish I had quit my job and found something I really enjoy doing. I wish I had stayed in touch with old friends. I wish I had spoken my mind more. I wish I hadn't spent so much time chasing the wrong things. I wish I had more children. I wish I had touched more lives. I wish I had thought about life's big questions earlier. I wish I had traveled more. I wish I had lived more in the moment. I wish I had pursued more of my dreams. So Matthew Kelly writes about these are the regrets of people who ran out of time. A wish. Now, I play John Denver's number one hit from the early 70s because along the line, I read originally, you know, you know, sometimes fans write comments on YouTube or whatever of the videos that they're watching. And someone, one of the fans wrote in based on this song who they just heard it for, for a while and they said, it was my grandmother who was living her final days. And as we were saying goodbye one night last week, I noticed the day's last sunlight sneaking through the blinds. Remembering that this was one of her favorite songs, I fired up the video and started singing it to her. She immediately remembered the words and sang along. Knowing that her mind and body were at peace for five minutes was a beautiful way to conclude our evening. And while I have decades of wonderful memories, I'll always cherish those blissful five minutes. Almost always. And I think that's maybe where, you know, we can talk about money, you can talk about politics, you can talk about wars. 
But maybe we also think about what these people were thinking about when they knew they were out of time. And that's my parting thought for everyone. I hope everybody has a healthy and successful new year. If you want to know, learn more about what we do at the estate planning team, you again, you can visit our website, financialfoodforthought.com. You can call us. Our phone number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-2090. And if you're thinking of those New Year's resolutions that perhaps you'd like to get going on building a custom financial plan that leaves you in the decision-making mode that gives you the peace of mind that makes you and you know, the, the idea that, yeah, can't, when can I retire? Can I retire now? Can I buy that new house? Can I help my grandchildren's with their college education? Do I need to protect? Do I, am I going to be dealing with a, an older parent who has to end up in a, in a nursing home or elder care situation? Is that going to be a financial burden on me? These are all things that the baby boomer generation, you know, peak 65 next year, 4 million of you are turning 65 next year. And these are the issues we've been helping our clients in that group for the last 36 years going to our 37th year. So again, thank everybody for the support over those decades. And we look forward to meeting new individuals and working with our current clients in the new year. Have a good weekend, everyone. Next week for more financial food for thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.